All right. Good morning, Calvary Church. Man, what a good, robust, wow, yes, hoop and hollering. It's great to see you guys. Uh, thanks for coming out, right? Like we say all the time, weird seasons, but uh, great to see a bunch of your faces. Sorry that you have to look at my face. I wish I could do something about that, but I can't. So, uh, man, got some great stuff out of God's Word. We're going to jump into it and press into it, and I'm eager about what God has for us uh, today and as we continue in this Ephesians series. So let me pray. Father, uh, we are grateful that um, you want to make yourself known to us, and we're grateful that no matter what happens in life, there's truths about you and there is you. And God, sometimes it's easy to forget who you are and what you're like. Um, it's hard to grasp those things and hold on to those things, and so you keep bringing us back to your word, and you keep patiently and gently bringing us back to your character and your love. And so thanks for the opportunity to study what you wanted a group of Christians a long time ago to know and what you want us to know. And I know that you are a God uh, who wants to be known. And so I'm eager to see how the Holy Spirit uh, makes you known to us today and as we continue in this series. So thank you. We want Jesus to be honored and we're so grateful for the sacrifice and his love. And it's in his name that we pray these things. Amen. Well, kind of a few questions as we... Um, kick off. Have you ever struggled with just wanting some hope? Have you ever struggled with wanting some hope? Maybe you've, maybe it's now, right? Maybe it's through this coronavirus deal and you just want hope. Have you ever struggled with wanting hope? Have you ever struggled with where do I turn to get that hope? Have you ever struggled with issues of value, identity, self-worth, who you are, why you matter, have you ever struggled with those kind of issues? How about wondering, what does God think of you? Have you ever maybe late at night or on a road trip somewhere just kind of wondered, man, what does God think of me? Who does he think I am when he looks down and sees me? Man, what's his view of me? Well, probably if you're honest, most of us at some point in our life have answered yes to at least one of those questions, right? At least one of those questions are things that we've wrestled with, and it doesn't really matter whether you're a Christian or non-Christian because both Christians and non-Christians wrestle with those kind of issues of hope and where do we turn and what's our value and what's our identity and who's God and what does he think of us. And, and so today's text, as we continue our Ephesians series, those are some issues that we're going to kind of press into and think about and look into. Last week we kicked off, if you were here, or maybe you were where a bunch of people are today, on their couches, hanging out, eating Cheerios, watching this. Uh, we kicked off a series in the book of Ephesians, and Paul wrote a letter to a group of Christians who lived a long time ago in the city of Ephesus. And a big bulk of that letter, right, there's this big overarching theme that God gets glory, but a big bulk of that letter is about how we live life together as a church. What's the ideal for a church? What's the expectation of a church? But before Paul moves into those discussions, he kind of begins the letter in these first few paragraphs with he wants to make sure that we, that Christians, to whom he's writing, understand some things, some core foundational underlying important things about who they are, about what God's done, about why they can have hope, about how those things interact. Like I said, this is a letter written to a group of Christians, and so a bunch of the truths we're going to see are truths that if people are Christians are true to them, and they're also truths, they're also realities that for folks who aren't yet Christians, man, this is what is out there that is waiting that can be true to them. He wants to ground Christians individually in truth about their identity and who God is and hope before he gives them realities about what they're to be like 
corporately. So we're going to kind of press into those things. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 14 is going to be our text. We're going to continue. Last week, I was longer in this service by a minute and 26 seconds. I'm going to try to change that trend. I'm going to try to be a minute and 26 seconds shorter in this service. So I'm going to start talking about how long I was in the first service. But we are trying to keep things a little shorter here because we know that Man, those masks get annoying, right? I mean, they look great on you. You look so... I shouldn't say that because that would be insulting, meaning I like seeing you in a mask as opposed to your beautiful faces. I love seeing your beautiful faces, but because all of your faces are so beautiful, they even look amazing in masks, right? So we're going to kind of keep things... So even though we're going through... 14 verses, don't freak out, I'm not going to keep you here until baseball season starts, whenever that will be, okay? So, here's what we're going to see this morning as we press in this. Five reasons for hope for Christians. Again, truths written to people who are Christians, but also truths for folks who aren't Christians that they can have and they can know. Five reasons for hope for Christians and three practical next steps. And a bunch of these things are probably things you've heard before, but it's a great chance just to kind of stop, and to pause and to remind ourselves of some core and some foundational truths about God. And, and here's kind of just personally why that uh, is helpful for me and maybe helpful for you. In between services, some of us pastors, we, we're talking about this, and uh, maybe it's something you're feeling. But um, all of us throughout the coronavirus have probably had different waves of different thoughts of it, right? Different ways it's landed on us, different places we find ourselves in this. And um, probably two weeks ago, a week and a half ago, um, and I probably still am, I'm just done with it all. I'm just done with it all. Um, and, you know, I think it struck me a little bit in the first service listening to um, some of the worship songs and amazing to have you guys here, and I really, really mean that. Um, but there's a lot of me that wants to go back. I, I, I think I want to go back to like the way it all was. Right? I think I want to go back to what I would call normal. And then I've kind of noodled over that a little more. Um, and as my wife likes to say, I, you know, I don't really know if there is a normal. She has this little saying that normal is just a setting on the dryer. Um, and, and I think about ways things were, and I want to go back to that, right? And maybe some of you, it's not coronavirus, but maybe something's happened in your life. And you're like, man, I, I want to go back to the way it was, not just before March, whatever. I want to go back the way it was a year ago. I want to go back the way it was two years ago, before that moment, before this. Uh, man, I, I, I think there's probably a lot of us who are like, we just want to go back to something different than this moment. But then we all have moments, and the reality is things change so much, I don't know if there is anything that's normal. Right, Because just when you feel like you've got your feet planted in something, the, the sand kind of shifts underneath you a little bit, and sometimes in great ways and sometimes in not-so-great ways. And I'm a guy who's chasing stability, control, the way I like things, and those things really are hard for all of us to grasp. And so what I'm reminded of and what I need help doing and maybe what a lot of us need to be reminded of amidst so much that changes in life, there's one thing that never changes, and what never changes is who God is. And so as we sit in a room with masks on and many of us yearning to go back to normal, what we need to remind ourselves in a moment that's not normal is that God hasn't changed. 
and that when everything else around us might shift and when everything else around us does shift, there is still one thing that hasn't shifted, and that's who God is. And so that's why this morning it's great to start to remind ourselves of some of those things and to anchor ourselves in some of those things. So we're going to think about five reasons we have hope this morning linked with our identity, linked with God, and then we're just going to wind up our time with some three practical steps. So here's, here, here we go. Let's jump into this text. We started with verses 1 and 2 kicking off last week. So verse 3 says this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Who has blessed us in Christ. Here's the first reason for hope this morning. God has given blessings to you. As a Christian, God has given blessings to you. God has given blessings to me. The greatest blessing that's set up here is Jesus, right? That's what Paul's saying is when he's blessed us in Christ. But it shows this great thing about God. God is a God who loves to bless his people. God is a God who loves to give good things to his people. We see that these blessings, Paul refers to them as spiritual blessings, right? That means the source of of the blessing, that these are blessings that are coming from the triune God, right? Ways that a spiritual God is blessing you and I, which shows great things about who God is, that God is for you. God is for you. He's on your side. He loves to bless. He loves to give good things to his people. And the amazing things is that the blessings God gives ultimately aren't correlated with how good we are. So many of the blessings that God gives to me, so many blessings God gives to you, so many blessings that God gives to us, man, aren't, aren't because we're deserving of them. Jesus isn't. Many of the blessings that God gives aren't because you or I are particularly good, but they're because he is good. And even when we're not good, even when we're not doing the things we want to do, he is still a God who has grace and who has favor and is for you. And the question is, is that the view that most of us have about God? When we think about God, right, when we're, we're, when we're on a road trip, when we're late at night, when we're by the lake looking out, right, when we just have some moments and the, we're, not, we're not running our minds at a thousand miles an hour about a to-do list, we're not trying to figure out how to pay our old bills, when we just have moments for space to think and our mind drifts to who God is, what is the picture, what is your thought about God? We say it a lot, I've stolen this line from a guy named A.W. Tozer, but here's the deal, the most important thing that we will ever think is what we think about God, because that will determine everything that we do. The most important thing that you will ever think is what you think about God, because that will determine everything that you do. And so the question is, when you think about God, what do you think? Do you have the view of God that God is a God who has given blessings to you? Do you think that God is for you, and that he's a person who is doing good for you, or is my view of God, is your view of God of this, this, this being up there who's not really for us, I mean, who's good, but, but we still kind of think that he is just staring at us, waiting for us to mess up so that he can somehow punish us or somehow pay us back. When you think about God, what do you think about? That person who's just waiting for you to run down the halls of the school or chew gum so that you can get in trouble or as a amazing, 
magnificent, all-powerful, divine person who is for you and who is given blessings to you. The first way that Paul starts this to individually anchor the people before he talks about them corporately is to remind them that, man, God loves to bless his people. The question then becomes is, okay, what, what are some of these blessings? What, what are some of the ways that God has blessed us? Well, that's what Paul continues to unpack, and he says this in continuing in verse 4. Even as he has even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us. Okay, big word, predestined, right? And I am not going to unpack all the nuances of predestination today because you would faint with your masks on. You would inhale too much CO2 or oh, whatever it is, right? Because, but, but, and another reason I'm not going to do it is not just because you have masks on, but because this issue of what is predestination, man, before we started wearing masks, that was an issue that we covered. Because way back in January, remember January? I mean, I don't, was there a January? Remember January. Back in January, what we started the year with is we had surveyed the, our church, you guys, back in December. And we said, hey, what are the biggest questions you have about faith? And we covered those top four questions in about four or five weeks. One of the questions that a bunch of you asked was on this issue of predestination. And so, if you have questions out of Man, digging deep about what is predestination, what is free will, what is election, what is foreknowledge, right? Well, if you want to know about all those things, then jump on our website sometime. And there was a sermon on January 12th in our question series where we spent 45 minutes, I mean, really chewing the steak off the bone on those questions, okay? We're not going to do that today, but if you want to know more about it, we did it four or five months ago, whatever it was, so check that out. But, but here's kind of today the high-level take, the 40,000-view take. When we talk about this word that, man, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless in love, he predestined us. He, here's the 40,000 take on that. The second reason for hope is this, that God wanted to have a relationship with you. And he initiated it. That God wanted to have a relationship with you and he initiated it. When God looked down and he saw me, when he saw you, when he saw us, he loved us so much. He loved you so much that he looked down and he wanted to have a relationship with you. He wanted you to know him. He wanted to be known by you, because here's what God knew. What God knew is that the best thing for me was to know him. And the most meaningful thing for you was to know God and to be in a relationship with God. And so God, in his love for you and his care for you, wanted to have a relationship with you. And so he pursued you. He initiated that relationship, and he started that relationship. Why did he do that? Well, it tells us in this verse, right, in love. He did it because he loves you. The God of heaven who made everything loves you. He thinks you're great. He thinks you're special. He sees value in you. He sees worth in you. And motivated by those things that he thinks about us, he pursued a relationship with you. 
when you think about questions of worth and value and who am I and do I matter? Let's remind ourselves about what the God of the universe thinks of you and me and us and that God in love wanted to have a relationship with you and he initiated it. And the amazing thing is not just that he initiated that relationship. The amazing thing is a particular type of relationship that we have. Verses 4 and 5 tell us what type of relationship. It says this, right? <clears throat> he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. It's saying that, man, not only did God want a relationship with you, but God has adopted you into his family as one of his children. Here's the third reason for hope and the third thing to think about God. God made you part of his family. God is your father. And I know as soon as we start talking father and as soon as we start talking about family, many times people, even in a crowd this size, we kind of go into different places because for some people, your family situation wasn't that ideal. And so when we start talking about family, man, for you there's some pain, and for you there's some things that weren't great. And for others of us, when we think about family, man, we did come from, man, a situation that was healthy and was nurturing. And, and, and when we think about these words, what we need to understand is we're not talking about God as a flawed parent. We're not talking about God as a flawed father. We're talking about a perfect father who never does anything wrong, who cares deeply for you as his child. I, I mean, maybe you didn't come from an ideal situation, or maybe you did, but we can all picture in our mind what an ideal parent-child relationship should be like. If it were to function well, what does it look like? And for a lot of us, we can think about that. I mean, it's a parent who so loves their child that they want to do what's best for them. It's about a parent who will sometimes give up things for the, of themselves to do good for that child. It's about that child. Always having a safe place to go. That's the ideal. It's about that child knowing that when life is hard, they can always run home to their parent. You know, the Bible, Jesus, when he was on earth, he talked about if you want to enter the kingdom of heaven, you must enter like a child. And you know what's interesting about children? Toddlers, children, they have very little control. A child, tiny little child, man, they, they have very little control over things. When my kids were younger, right? I mean, elementary school, preschool, and on the one or two times when I failed as a parent and asked that question that no parent should ever ask in the minivan after church, the question that no parent should ever ask in a minivan after church is this question, where do you want to go for lunch? Right? Because now it, you've instantly tried to create this democracy in your minivan. It ain't no democracy. It is a dictatorship, and daddy is in charge, right? And when my kids were little, they could throw out everything they wanted. But at the end of the day, guess what? They weren't driving the car, right? They couldn't, like, hop over the seat and carjack me and make the car. Little kids have very little control. They are dependent upon their parents for things. And what Jesus is saying is, look, people, if you want to enter the kingdom of heaven, when you think about God, you've got to come like a child, and you've got to realize you have very little control. And you need to come dependently. 
And you need to come willing to trust your Father who is in control. And we don't need to remind ourselves, we've already said in the beginning, how we don't ultimately have control over life. Whether you're 12, 22, 42, 82, you're ultimately not in control. But you know what? You have a good father who adores you, who is in control, who you can always, always run home to. The third reason for hope is that God has made you part of his family. There's someone there for you who wants to take care of you, who is in control, who you can sometimes just fall upon and spiritually let God wrap his arms around you the way a parent would a kid when the kid's in a tough place. Well, what's another reason for hope? Well, I'm going to let me front end it and then we'll unpack it. Here's the fourth reason for hope. Sin is no longer your boss. Sin is no longer your boss. Here's where we see that from verse 7. It says this. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Let me tell you what redemption is, right? It's kind of this word that, that people in this culture wouldn't need a guy with a wraparound mic to explain, but they understood it. We sometimes don't. It means it's this idea of paying a price to release somebody from something that they were bondage to. It means that somebody would pay some money to free somebody else from something that had control over them. And many times in this culture, in the city of Ephesus, when they first heard that letter, it would relate to slavery. In the Roman Empire, there were millions and millions of slaves. And if you were a person in the Roman Empire and you had a friend or a family member who was a slave and you wanted to give them their freedom, what you would do is you would redeem them. What you would do is you would pay a price to purchase them, to get them under your control, and then you would free them. You would give them their freedom. You would release them. In this culture, when somebody wanted to free somebody from slavery, they would actually buy that person as a slave to themselves and then give that person their freedom. And what Paul is saying is that for every single person who's a Christian, that is what Jesus has done for us. That at some point, every single one of us were a slave to sin. We were under bondage to sin. It controlled us. It governed us. We were accountable to sin, and we were going to have to pay the consequences to sin, right? We were on team sin. But what Paul is saying is, but Jesus came, and Jesus paid a price, which was his own life, to purchase me and purchase you out of that to buy us for himself and then to release us from what gave us bondage and what tied us down and what we were enslaved to and to give us freedom and to give us a new story and to bring us onto his team. Every single person in this room, every single person in this world, we're ultimately either on one team we're ultimately either on team sin or we're ultimately either on team Jesus. Now, do people on team Jesus still sin? Yeah. 
right? We're going to sin until we see Jesus, but here's the deal. We're no longer bound to it. We're no longer obligated to it. It no longer owns us, and we don't any longer have to worry about the punishment for us. Paul is saying, man, sin had power over us, but now Jesus has bought us, and we are his, and we're not that anymore. That's not who we are. That's who we were. Man, we're in Christ. And so the question is, man, when God looks at you or looks at me, what does he see? He doesn't see us when we were on team sin. He doesn't see all of that part of our story. He sees us in Jesus, on team Jesus, forgiven and free and righteous and his. And there's one final reason, final thought from this text for hope, verse 11 says, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. In him we have obtained an inheritance. Do you know what an inheritance means? Inheritance is something that is waiting for you, right? Something that is yet to come, something out there. And I love the way that they use the tense here to describe it. Paul writes, you have obtained Now, we actually haven't obtained our inheritance, but what Paul is saying, Paul uses the past tense because he's saying it is as certain as if you have already gotten it. It is guaranteed, right? You may not have yet actually inherited it, but it is so certain. I'm going to use the past tense to discuss whether you don't have it. What's the inheritance? Here's the inheritance that we have. Big bucket. Because we could spend lots of Bible verses, but, but here's the inheritance. Part of what is waiting for us is this. Receiving, experiencing, realizing every single promise that God has ever made. Our inheritance, what is waiting for us, what one day we'll get, man, is experiencing Every promise that we have clung to when life has been hard. Everything we know about God but haven't yet experienced. All the things for which we have hoped that the Bible gives us grounds to hope for. Your inheritance, my inheritance, is one day that we're going to receive that. That is what is waiting. Here's the fifth reason for hope. The best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. And that is guaranteed. Not because a dude up here with a wraparound mic says it, but because God says it. Look at what it says in verse 13 and 14. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. What Paul is saying is the minute that we trusted in Christ, right, the minute we came to that, the Holy Spirit indwelt that. And that Holy Spirit is like this big stamp saying, I guarantee one day you're going to get that. I guarantee One day there will be no more sickness. I guarantee one day cancer will not exist. 
I guarantee one day marriages won't be broken. I guarantee one day there won't be parents who don't treat their kids well. I guarantee one day you won't have to live by hope and you won't have to live by faith because one day, someday, we'll, we'll all be living by sight and he will wipe away every tear from our eyes and the best is yet to come. And he guarantees it. And in a world where the sand shifts from underneath us all the time, in a world where I and many of you cling to the illusion that we have control, in a world where we want hope, what Paul is writing to Christians thousands of years who had the same yearnings as guys, hold on. Hold on, because one day, someday, the best is yet to come. Five reasons for hope that Paul individually kind of grounds his people in, right? We pop it up on the screen. We got the list of five things. God's given blessings to you. God wanted to have a relationship with you, and he initiated. God made you part of his family. Sin is no longer your boss, and the best is yet to come. Great truths, important to remember, but, but, and I mean that, right? Sometimes what's more important, like we don't need a practical takeaway because we just need to know the truth, but many times we do need to know, okay, what do we do with the truth? So, so what can we do with this? Three kind of simple thoughts of what you and I can do with this this week, and, and <clears throat> here's the first thought, right? There's the five things. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, those are five days of the week. Look at that. I'm like a calculus major up here, right? Here's what I'd encourage you to do. For each of those five days of the week, work down that list. So what do I mean by that? I mean Monday. Tomorrow morning, and I'm, I'm stealing kind of this phrasing from Chris Raleigh, a guy who preaches here because I love it, right? Tomorrow morning when you wake up, before you check your Twitter feed to see about where COVID's rising or not rising, before you check that bank account to see if you have your money to pay all your bills, before you check Facebook or Instagram to see, like, what ridiculous birthday party, like, your second cousin's nieces had or who made some quinoa for dinner, right? Before you fill your mind with all that, right, tomorrow morning, get up and say to yourself, God has given blessings to me. Before you fill your mind with all the things that might stress you or all the reasons you may be anxious or all the things you want and don't want, remind yourself God has given blessings to you. Sometime between 7.30 tomorrow morning and 8.30 tomorrow morning, I'm going to have a cup of delicious coffee in my Yeti coffee mug. I'm going to have my little cheap journal from Staples. I'm going to be sitting in a white Adirondack chair with my fountain pen from Amazon.com that I adore. And I'm going to write on the top of the journal, God has given blessings to me. And then you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to spend a few minutes thinking about that. Not thinking about all the things I don't have. Not thinking about all the things I want but thinking about what he's already done and what he's already given, and I would invite you tomorrow morning to join me in that. Not actually in my yard, because we'd have to wear social distance. And I mean, I would do that, because I love you, but uh, yeah, but what I, man, Tuesday, Tuesday, remind yourself, God wanted to have a relationship with me 
and he initiated it. If you struggle with issues of worth, on Tuesday, if what's running through your mind is, man, do I matter? Does anybody care? If Tuesday you're thinking, man, I, I, I got to get my self-esteem somewhere, and maybe you get your self-esteem from how much money you're pulling in or how much you can bench press or what your dress size is, and, and those things are leaving you hollow and still wanting more, and Tuesday remind yourself you have value and you have worth and your identity is linked to the fact that God wanted to have a relationship with you and he initiated it. Wednesday afternoon, if it's been a tough day, and you just wonder, is there anybody who I can turn to? If you're feeling like you have such little control and you're thinking, man, who's going to take care of me? Because maybe you're a parent and you've given and given and given of yourself to take care of your kids. And you're like, whoa, I, I, I just need somebody to take care of me. And you wonder where you can turn. Remind yourself that you can turn to God who's your father. Who cares? Because God has made you part of his family. And Wednesday, you run through your mind again and again throughout the day. God has made me part of his family. God has made me part of his family. I don't need to worry. I don't need to freak out. I don't need to feel alone because God has made me part of his family Thursday. Thursday, what we remind ourselves of and we think about is the truth that sin is no longer your boss. And here's why that's important, because maybe some of us struggle with shame. And we, we, maybe this past year, maybe this past month, maybe this week, you're going to have moments where you look back and you think about who you were when you were on Team Sin. And you're going to think about what you did when you were on Team Sin. And you're going to think, man, I, I'm on Team Jesus, but I, I don't like who I was. I don't like what I did. Why did I do that? And linked with that is shame. And we have an enemy who's a liar, who's a deceiver, and an enemy who loves to condemn us. But the reality is there is no condemnation in Christ. And, and, and we need to stand on truth to protect ourselves from the enemy's lie, and the enemy is going to lie to you and say, you think you're so great because you showed up at Calvary with your N95 mask on to come to a church service, but you're not great because remember what you did last year. Remember what you did last week. And the enemy is going to just holler at us these lies and these accusations to bring on shame and to bring on condemnation, which is not of Jesus. The Holy Spirit brings conviction. God allows us to sometimes face consequences, but that's different than condemnation. And if you struggle with who you are in Jesus or when you struggle with whether you're forgiven, remind yourself that sin is no longer your boss. And on Friday, on Friday, if it's been a rough week or if it's been a great week, remind yourself there's more to the story than this, and the best is yet to come. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, five things for you and for I to think about, one thing for each of those days, and I'd invite you to do that. Here's the reality, right? Man, we're able to connect here. We've been able to connect online. We're connecting online with people, a lot of people today. We're doing Zoom prayer meetings. Community groups are gathering together. But there are less opportunities for you and for me to engage together in, per in, in person, right? There's less opportunities for us to be in a room together or for our kids to be taught in Sunday school or you to come to an equipping class or you to go women's ministry thing, right? And, and if you are one of the people 
who like all of your spiritual food from the week came from sitting on the blue chairs, man, you're in a moment, I'm in a moment where we're going to need to do a little bit of more self-feeding. You're going to do a little bit more self-feeding, and this is an easy way five days of the week to think about one thing for each of the days about hope that you have. And then here's what you do on Saturday. Five, ten minutes working down this list. Man, thanking God for all that he's done for you. I'm not saying don't thank him throughout the week, but I'm just saying a lot of times we're ungrateful people. I won't lump you into my boat. I mean, that's a good boat. It's like a 21-foot Boston whaler cruising on the ocean, but I'll be in the boat alone. Sometimes I'm ungrateful. There is a God who is beyond our understanding, who has done that for me. Man, and I need to be so much more grateful for who he is and for what he's done. And maybe I'm not the only one in the room who needs to do that. And so Saturday, can you find five minutes on Saturday? Five minutes. Can we find five minutes on Saturday to thank God for that? And the third thing is this. This week, when and if you struggle with fear, you struggle with value, you struggle with hope, you struggle with what God thinks of you, before you panic, before you go to anxiety, before you just, your mind spins out of control, man, boom, come back to this list. Come back to this list. Take a picture of the list, write down the list, come back to the list, and anchor yourself in truth. Man, amazing truths about God, great ways to self-feed ourselves, and I invite you to do it with me this week. Tomorrow morning, When you pour that coffee or that herbal tea or that orange juice into your mug, I want you to think about my annoying Yankee Southern redneck voice, and I want you to think about, ooh, I've got to jump on a journal somewhere and think about the first thing for Monday that God's given blessings to me. So I'd love for you to join me with this, man, and, and let's see what God might do in our midst as we do this this week. I'm excited about next week. I lied to you. That was much longer, this service, than this first one. So if you want a service that really is legitimately 30 minutes, come to the first one. Uh, But don't anymore, because I think next week we're just going to combine to one service, so everybody's going to be in trouble with a 36-minute sermon, okay? So, man, we love you guys. Look forward to next week, what God has. Let me pray. We'll sing a song and worship together, and then head on out the door. Father, thank you for these truths and for um, who you are and what you've done for us. And I do pray that this week, because there's so many things that can be distracting, that we'll find some time to pause, that your Holy Spirit will divinely pull us to some time to just pause and to be still and to allow our minds and hearts to wrap around some very simple yet profoundly important truths about you. Draw us to yourself, Father. Help us to pursue you as you draw us. And may these truths bring encouragement to some of us this week so that we can bring better glory and honor to you. Amen.